1: And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people.
2: Yeah, the president sounded like he's concerned about it, but no specifics, no change in policy. We have
1: to make our country
0: great again, and I will do that.
3: I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Bay.
1: Last week, as the White House maintained, there is still a bipartisan path forward on the Biden administration infrastructure plan. The Senate parliamentarian ruled that an expanded use of budget reconciliation could be used to enact the infrastructure package, opening up the potential for President Biden to once again pass this package without Republican support. However, some Democrats are showing skepticism about it and about the two trillion dollar package the way forward for this and more discussion. We'll bring in our all star panel this week. Former Education Secretary Bill Bennett, editor and CEO of The Dispatch and co-host of The Dispatch podcast, Steve Hayes and Democratic strategist Marianne Marsh. Thanks for being here. Uh, Marianne, let me start with you. It seems um, now we're hearing President Biden is bringing some Republicans into the White House uh, today. He says they are ready to negotiate on not only the path forward on how infrastructure would look, but also how to pay for it. There were indications that that wasn't going to happen. How do you think this is going to move forward, even though they're talking behind the scenes on Capitol Hill about, again, 51 votes?
2: Great question, Brett. I mean, the fact is, it's the right step in the right direction to bring in Republicans and have this discussion. Whether it's going to make a difference remains to be seen. The overwhelming majority of people in this country support the infrastructure package, including a plurality of Republicans. The sticking point seems to be that Republicans do not want to use corporate tax rates having them raised to pay for this particular package that gave Mitch McConnell his opening to say there would be no Republican Senate support uh, for the infrastructure package. And indeed, if that's the case, then that forces Biden to use once again reconciliation, which he may want to use for a different package down the road. You don't get a lot of swings at that, as we've seen in the last few weeks. Um, He has a chance now it may have to be used for this. And it's good to know where the Republicans stand on these matters to see if there is a way to compromise on some part of this.
1: I guess, Bill, the biggest sticking point over the weekend and talking to some Republicans on Capitol Hill has been what the definition of infrastructure is. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that they're throwing under the umbrella of infrastructure uh, when the bill itself is not all roads and bridges.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's more that than the corporate tax increase, though. I think that is a concern, and I think a legitimate concern, putting us uh, way up in the in the world. But yeah, no, there's a lot in there that is not infrastructure, unless we take a very um, expanded, generous interpretation of uh, infrastructure, which I am. We're all sort of watching daily to see what is not infrastructure because uh, a lot's included under it. But I think when you get to the situation where you have people like Senator Coons from Delaware saying, you know, I think a scaled down package would be a good idea. I think something less would be a good idea. And you're getting the argument, well, Republicans in the Senate and House may not matter so much as Republicans out there in the country, which is a kind of Ross Perot notion of, you know, what kind of country we have. We have a constitutional republic with representation, not a direct democracy, that uh, this thing will have to be reshaped some. And yeah, you know, that's, that's a good point you make at the end there. The, you can't do reconciliation every time. You certainly can't you can't go to that that place too often.
1: Yeah, Steve, the other thing is is that the administration has kind of been bitten a bit about how they started off selling this thing, you know, that it would create nineteen million jobs, pointing to this Moody's report. Well, yeah. actually it was two point seven million and uh nineteen million includes what would be going forward without this package because the economy's ready to burst post pandemic, Steve. So There's a lot of questions about how much we should add on to what looks like is going to be a burning economic fire anyway.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, if you look back at what the U.S. government has spent, we spent $5.3 trillion in emergency COVID spending before the $1.9 trillion spending package that Democrats passed that we were just talking about. Now you're talking about somewhere between $2.2 trillion and $2.7 trillion in infrastructure. And we know that there's another massive spending bill coming behind this. And the administration, as you point out, started something. The name that they're calling this, I think, is the American Jobs Plan. They're focusing on jobs at a time when Unemployment is coming down. Jobs are coming back. And the, the federal government, in order to help unemployment, probably the most important thing for the federal government to do is get out of the way. The biggest challenge to employers that I've spoken with, particularly small businesses, manufacturing the service sector, is they can't get low and unskilled workers to come back to the workforce because they can earn more money by sitting at home, given the generous unemployment benefits, both at the state level and then supplemented by federal unemployment for COVID relief that was extended through September 6th. So the administration at this point, I don't think they want to be out selling this as a jobs plan. We added 900,000 new jobs last time. And the biggest obstacle to the economy, the jobs really picking up, I think is the federal government and this COVID relief package and the additional spending that we saw over the past few months.
1: Marianne, um, do you think that, that this is Democrats and the Biden administration saying this is our chance, despite the fact that we have uh, really tight majorities in both the Senate and the House, that this is the chance to pass something big, to be transformational? It seems like the Congressional Progressive Caucus, which really wasn't that strong in years past, it's been around for 30 years, has a lot more sway in the Biden White House than any other Democratic White House before.
2: Well, there's certainly a sentiment across the country that it's time to tackle the problems that have been kicked down the road for decades and decades and decades. And the jobs that it would create would address many of those things that have been ignored. Certainly, if you you walk or use wheels or wings to get anywhere, you know we have bad infrastructure. But it is a much broader problem. And the opportunity to build the electrical grid get lead pipes out of kids' schools, public schools with bad water, improving our infrastructure as I watch the wind blow here on the Cape, and I'm afraid my internet's going to go out. All those things, our infrastructure and more. So I, I think the Biden administration has read the country right. The majority of people in this country want these things done. They've waited a long time for them to be done. They want the money spent on things that the public can benefit from, not just tax cuts that wealthy people have gotten in the last few years, because if this were a debate about that, there would be no debate by Republicans.
1: Yeah, Bill, I think, you know, if you look back to the last four years, you know, the Trump administration did a lot of great things as far as the economy, supercharging it, allowing businesses to flourish, scaling back regulations. What they didn't do was have any concern for the deficit and debt. So now for the pushback to be for Republicans, they're concerned about that. Isn't that a tough thing to push if the last four years didn't look like that
3: well it's tougher but you know huge doesn't have to mean go bigger yeah we weren't spending spending a lot of time worrying about spending uh, and now uh, now the focus has turned to that but Marianne gave a good answer but it wasn't the answer to your question uh, I mean it's a good answer because I think if you say are you in favor of fixing this are you in favor of voting rights are you in favor of this all these things people will say yeah. But a little later on, when the bill comes due and we see what it's really about, maybe not so sure. Um, and I think uh, Mayor Pete, now Secretary Pete Buttigieg, uh, yesterday uh, or recently on Fox News, was saying, you know, yeah, that was a bit of misrepresentation. We didn't quite get that right. But I would answer your question by saying it's clear to me that Progressive Agenda is in charge. Um, they are pushing on all fronts, the money front, and and the money front is... Much, much bigger than anything Republicans were talking about. Back to the first point. But in terms of its uh, political direction or motivation, I, you know, I I was wrong. I thought that Joe Biden was a moderate guy when I know him as a moderate guy. Well, when I knew him, he didn't think I was tough enough on drugs and I had a pretty good reputation for being tough on drugs. He was much more for lock him up than I was, but he's uh, certainly not there anymore. But this is a left-wing administration. There is uh, no question about it. And, you know, they're going for all they can. I understand that. You win elections, elections matter. You go for all you can. But no think there's any question about the flavor of this uh, this crowd.
1: But how does that affect re-election prospects, Steve? I mean, if they're going for all they can, if they get a lot of what they want is that a winner in middle America? Is that a winner in suburban Philadelphia? Is that, you know, when you look at 22 and 24, can Republicans get the right messaging to counter
3: that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think in some ways that's one of the most important questions that we'll be asking ourselves about our politics over the next two and four years. The the challenge is, is for Republicans making a cohesive and cogent counterargument to what the Biden administration is doing. As, as Bill suggests, Republicans weren't exactly paying a ton of attention to spending over the past five years. The, the spending was out of control. We did an interview with Mick Mulvaney a little over a week ago, and he said that the Trump administration spent more in its first two years than the Obama administration did in its last two years. That's pretty extraordinary data point. And It will seem a little too cute, I think, if Republicans now all become the deficit hawks that many of us hope that they would be all along. Will that resonate with suburban voters, uh, voters across middle America? I sure hope it will, because I think we're in trouble if it doesn't. But, you know, in, in, in a competition where both parties are offering things to voters, giving things away, trying to outdo one another with who can spend more and who can provide more, If Republicans decide to play that game, I think it is possible that uh, that Joe Biden wins that.
3: Well, I was just going to say, but in scale. Yeah. I mean, there's there's bigger, there's biggest and then there's holy smokes. Uh, And (laughs) I I don't know the answer, Steve, you may. But I mean, if if uh, Trump's first two years were bigger than Obama's last two, what are what are what are Biden's first hundred days? Uh, compared to uh, either of those numbers, I mean, this is uh, these numbers are you know amazing, astronomical. They're, they're phenomenal numbers, and again, the returns haven't come in, so we'll see what happens when the return comes in. By the way, one has to also point out a lot of this money has not been spent yet. A lot of this That's money has not been spent.
1: That's a great point. I mean, some of these states are, have, are going to have a hard time spending all of the money. So all these projects that are supposed to be being done, um, sometimes it takes a while to get there. Uh, that's a good point. Go ahead, Maryam.
2: I would just add one thing. This is what the American people want. They've been paying, they're not getting anything for free. They've been paying into a government for decades now and seen little to no benefit from that. They, their school's, aren't good. The roads aren't good. During the pandemic, the majority of people who lost their jobs were women who had to stay home with kids or elderly parents. So there's been little equity, and the people who have benefited have been a relative handful in this country. So that's why you've seen a major shift, not just Democrats, not just independents, but even Republicans support increasing taxes, including on corporations. They just don't seem to be willing to support it to pay for this infrastructure bill. That's another thing.
1: I think I think you're right in some sense. But I do think that when Democrats point to Republican support, for example, of the covid stimulus bill, they say it was 74 percent or something. I don't think that those people knew that in that covid stimulus bill, they were also paying for the pensions in Illinois and New York. I don't think that they they knew all the details. And sometimes the devil's in the details in these massive, massive bills. So, Marianne, I just want to recircle about what Bill said. Candidate Joe Biden and President Joe Biden, I mean, you concede they are two very different characters, right?
2: Not entirely, but what is different is where the electorate is. And he is making good on the promises he's made, but the American people want him to go further. And I think the biggest shift in this country has happened on taxes. And here's why it used to be the majority of people, including blue collar workers, lower income people, opposed tax hikes because everyone believes someday they would be wealthy too. even if they won the lottery. They didn't want to pay those taxes. They have increasingly seen if they work hard, play by the rules. They're not getting ahead. Even if you make six figures, you're barely making ends meet if you've got kids, houses, mortgage and intuitions. And, and so that's where the change has happened. And I think Joe Biden's following the change.
3: Hey, I, yeah. I, Go I, ahead, I just say something more. Uh, it is it is something we, we always hear from liberals about you know the rich getting richer and the very rich got uh, very much richer but a lot of people got wealthier too a lot of people were a lot better off given the trump years a lot of wages went up
1: guys let's hold it right there we'll continue after this
3: From the Fox News Podcasts Network.
2: I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.
1: See, one of the things that has changed is, for example, on court packing. Senator Joe Biden was a big um, opponent and gave big speeches on the Senate floor and the Senate Judiciary Committee about adding Justices to the Supreme Court. Now there's this commission to study that very possibility. It seems like what he said on the trail, I mean, differing a little bit with what Marianne said, is much, much different ideologically now that he's president.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's an interesting path that that Joe Biden has taken on this question of expanding the Supreme Court. You're right, as a senator who was very much opposed, even as a candidate, when you go back and you look at the interviews that he gave in 2019, at the very early stages of the Democratic primary, he was opposed. He said he didn't think it was a good idea. It wasn't something he was going to campaign on. And you had progressive groups that pushed him continuously to take the position that, that, or, or at least be open to the idea of expanding the Supreme Court. Then he gave an interview to Nora O'Donnell shortly before the general election, in which he sort of, took a step towards open mindedness on this question and said that he would commission this this blue ribbon panel to to take a look at it. I think what he's doing, this is one area where I, I hope my cynicism is is correct. I think what he's doing is taking a look at this to satisfy constituents on the Democratic left who have been pushing for this and pushing for this and pushing for this, by the way in an openly partisan way. I mean, they're not even making any bones about what they want to do. They're frustrated that conservatives now appear to have a majority of the court and they want liberals to have a majority of the court. So they're talking about expanding the court so that they can regain control. They're making that argument pretty openly. I think what Joe Biden is doing is saying to those folks, hey, we're going to take this a look. We're going to surface these ideas. I've got this this commission pretty well stocked with liberals and progressives likely to produce a report that progressives will like, but ultimately something that doesn't actually go anywhere. I think I will be surprised if Joe Biden ultimately endorses recommendations of the panel, even if the panel uh, recommends expanding the court. I think he would meet some resistance from centrist jurists and, and centrists. I mean, Stephen Breyer gave a speech last week warning against doing this. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, known, proud progressive on the court, was opposed to packing the court. I think it would be a tough argument to, for Joe Biden to make.
1: You also run into Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema, which becomes the math problem if you're going down something that's controversial, like back in the court. Uh, last word, Bill.
3: Yeah, well, you know, there's something on untoward. I, at least I felt that way about Steve Breyer giving a speech. Breyer was professor at Harvard Law School when I was there. He's a very smart guy. I don't agree with a lot of his decisions, but he's a brilliant guy. and The court should have brilliant people of different uh, of different political persuasions. But, you know, it, it just struck me as a little uncomfortable guy gives a speech and then people say, hey, you should step down without saying the other part, step down or die uh, because we'd like you to, we'd like to replace you. Um, you know, the same thing was said, maybe sotto of voce to uh, to Ginsburg. Well, step down was said, said out loud. Uh, you know, maybe you want to have term limits for judges. I, I, I think that's maybe worth discussing. But as long as you don't have term limits for judges, I, I don't like this kind of talk. And it is the least dangerous branch, as the founders called it. In Alexander Bickle's book, The Least Dangerous Branch. And, um, you know, I, I think it's a really bad idea. You want to lose credibility, all credibility for that institution, too. It is an institution where we've seen a lot of decisions that came out during the Obama years, for example, that conservatives didn't like, but they have obeyed. And I worry that if the court loses a sense of legitimacy because people think it's primarily political, we might start seeing people in a large number saying it's just a political institution. I'm not going to pay any attention to it.
2: Could I just add a point? Sure. I don't think you can underestimate the damage that Mitch McConnell did by denying Merrick Garland, now the attorney general of the United States, the opportunity to be put on the Supreme Court. And you also can't underestimate the commitment that Joe Biden made during the presidential campaign that he would appoint the first black woman Judge to the Supreme Court. Those two things pack a lot of punch with a lot of people. And you could see to Bill's point and Steve's Biden sent it to a commission. Let's study it. Let's see what people have and let's see what they come out with. And if they recommend adding jurist, then you can start to see where the momentum would come to do that. I'm, I, I'm not the biggest fan of it, to be clear, but you can't you cannot forget what mitch mcconnell did
1: yeah and i think there's it goes both ways as far as you know who was in charge and what happened in each in each case but you're right about mitch mcconnell and moving that forward i'll just note as uh, somebody who studied and wrote about fdr he wanted to do this too he tried to do it and he got burned by his own party uh really badly So we'll see what happens politically. Panel, thanks a lot. Here's a bit of presidential trivia to leave you with. On April 13th, 1743, Thomas Jefferson was born in Shadwell, Virginia. He would go on, of course, to become a founding father of the united states the author of the declaration of independence the country's first secretary of state and eventually serving as the third president of the united states that's going back a ways that'll do it for us this week you can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts make sure to leave a rating and review we want to hear from you for bill steve and marianne i'm brett Baer. we'll see you next time